Sure. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host, the most as always, Adela Marcy, and this is my probably the second time I've ever had to do a second intro for someone because I fucked up the first one so badly. But today's guest is a very good friend of mine, someone that I really actually do follow on social media quite a bit. Um, he's the founder of Natural Born Coaches, and in my opinion, the coach behind many of the coaches out there today and their strategies, the one and only Mark Mo. What is it? Hold on, Mark Mowinney. You got her. <laughs> yeah, damn it. I was like, don't fuck it up again, Adel. I was like, damn it, so close. I was like, just think just think, Winnie the Pooh, you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, dude, thank you for being here. I know it's been uh, it's been hell trying to sort this out. Like, we've had so many times where we've just had to either cancel on each other for your show or my show, and then there was that, yeah, I'm just glad that we managed to get this done, get this recorded today. Yeah, and me too. And and that's the joys of living in different time zones and two busy people and trying to work stuff out. But here we are. Well, yeah. And for the people listening, this I want you guys to listen in on this episode because I don't just try and wait for people to come on my show because I do have quite a lot of guests apply and I usually have to say no to a lot of people. Um, Mark was one of those guys that I've wanted on my show for some time. And it's kind of like, uh, yes. Why would I not want to? You guys are going to have some amazing times with him. Um, but Mark, very quickly, I, I'm glad you don't mind me uh, actually referring to you as the coach's coach because I actually do think that I've seen a lot of the strategies you put out there and about two years later, everyone catches up, which is always the case. My question for you initially right off the bat is, what got you into coaching coaches? Um, it's an interesting question to try to put into an, a nice little... 30 second soundbite it's tough but oh you got ages man yeah i I didn't grow up expecting to become a coach i actually thought i'd be playing for the toronto blue jays when i was four years old it wasn't coaching wasn't even around then so but um actually my background's in real estate and i built up a real estate business through my 20s and things were going really well until they weren't going well. And I had a big business collapse. And I actually went through two business closures in the span of a couple of years. And I had 100 employees, a couple office spaces, and all that stuff. And everything collapsed. And uh, before that, I knew very little about coaching. And after I went through those uh, heartbreaks and defeats, I ended up getting help by several co- coaches and mentors and that's how I found out about coaching. And then early 2014, I decided that I would become a coach as well. And and here we are today. So when I started coaching, by the way, my I had a very broad, general, I wouldn't say focus because it wasn't focused. I said, I want to work with any entrepreneur out there, which is extremely general. And what I realized in that first year is how I got to narrow this down a little bit. And I had two of my clients who were coaches, and I enjoyed working with those clients more than the other ones. So I said, you know what, I'm going to plant my flag in the ground and work only with coaches. And even to this day, anyone who approaches me that's not a coach, if, if they own a bricks and mortar business or do something else, I refer them off to a coach that I know. That's pretty cool. I love that. And the fact that you've actually coached so many people, you can actually create that referral system within your own network. Um, and what's really interesting there is that you went, is what you said about uh, being really general about working with entrepreneurs. And I think this plagues... Um, people at different stages of their business. I know for myself for a very long time, like an embarrassing amount of time, um, I worked almost exclusively with every business I can get my hands into. I think I got to like 370 markets and I succeeded in 365 of them. Which, you know, 
epic, but still, you know, when you get that first loss and then you kind of go back, because my five losses in those five markets I failed in all came within the space of about six months. Ah. Everything else is like, wait, I'm winning everything else? What? And then I went back onto another win streak, which was great. But my idea is what I've realized now is who I've actually loved working with the most isn't the same person that pays me the most money. It's actually the person that brings me the most fulfillment. Like I can get the work done in a matter of hours. It feels easy. And yeah, it just allows me to focus on other challenges. My question there lies in what, besides actually finding that niche, if you were to coach someone like me who doesn't really know their niche, they don't really know how to niche like how to like bring it right down to a single thing like right i'm going to work with these people specifically um what steps would you give them so they don't go the embarrassing long amount of time which i'm not going to publicly state uh to to actually get to that point where they know who they're working with? well i would first tell them not to put too much pressure on themselves you're not going to have it figured out right out of the gate and i find a lot of people when they hear words like Dutch or niche, as us Canadians and British say. But um, Correct when, <laughs> well, actually, tell you the truth, I go Americans as much, American pronunciation as much as possible. Where most of my clients are in the states, so I, I say niche, but niche, niche. But a lot of people do put too much pressure on their shoulders, and they think that coming right out of the gate on day one, they have to have it all figured out, and that's probably not going to happen. The most successful coaches I know go through at least a couple evolutions over the years. I actually was speaking to one recently who's a really well-known coach, and, and you probably know him. And he said that he went through four evolutions uh, to find what's working for him now. And he didn't hum and haw when he wanted to change. He didn't worry what people think or whatever. He just made the change. So that would be the first step is I'd say don't put pressure on yourself and, and think that you're going to have it all figured out because you probably won't. You're probably going to have to change it a little bit down the road or evolve as time goes on. And uh, the other thing is the uh, clues are probably in your background, your experience, uh, your interests. So what kind of things are you in your off hours? What kind of videos are you watching on YouTube? What blogs are you reading? What books? What could you talk to people about all day long and, and not you could talk their ear off, you know, with it. And there's probably some breadcrumbs in there for for a hint towards who you should be working with. I couldn't agree more with you because it's going to be, it, it's really interesting when you take that pressure off exactly how much things just open up for you mentally because you're now no longer working with this like deadline in your brain of what everyone expects. Rather, I'm just going to have fun with mm. it. And usually when you have fun, that's when everything opens up. Yeah, exactly. I, I find that people put way too much pressure on themselves. It's almost like they think everyone's watching them and keeping score, uh, tracking every move that they make. The story that I remember, and I always keep this in mind, is back at the height of the whole Anthony Weiner scandal. Do you remember that texting yeah. scandal? Yeah, the whole thing with him, yeah, which was hilarious, the fact that his name it, it, was, yeah, they, is brilliant. Yeah, like you couldn't have written a better last name, right? Uh, Anthony Weiner for a, a scandal around deck picks on Twitter. But um, when that Anthony Weiner thing was going on, Mel Robbins, who wrote the five second rule, she also uh, writes a column for Success Magazine. And one of her columns, she told a story how she got into a cab in New York City at the very height of the Weiner scandal. 
And she was just making conversation with the cabbie, and she said to him, she said, so what do you think of the whole Anthony Weiner thing? Now, you would think if anyone knows anything about Anthony Weiner, it would be a cab driver right in the heart of New York when all this was going on, and he had no clue what she was talking about. And she go, he said, who? She said, Anthony Weiner, you know, the, the politician. He got caught on Twitter sending naked pictures. He said, no, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> so he was worried about how he was going to pay his mortgage. He was worried about who his daughter was dating, maybe his wife's sick, whatever. He had bigger things to worry about than Anthony Weiner. And the reason she was telling that story was to highlight that, hey, not everyone is talking about you or thinking about you. With our egos, we think that they are, but they aren't. They got their own lives going on. And that's a really powerful story I tell clients if they ever get into their heads too much and think that everyone's judging them, everything that they're doing. Just remember that Anthony Weiner uh, story. And the other thing I tell them is to be very careful when they're tweeting that they're not putting it out in the public timeline. Make sure, keep it in DMs, right? Direct messages. (laughs) Always, always the case. But so true, like how I think Gary Haldett said it best back in the day, which was, if you want to sell anything to anyone or get to know their emotions, you need to tap into the best radio station in the world, which is We FM, which is what's in it for yep. me. Um, and it's really interesting to me whenever I speak to not just entrepreneurs, but I speak to like people in general and realize where their focus is and what they're not thinking about or listening to what's going on. I mean, we had a whole thing with, um, was it Article 10 or something? or issue? I can't remember what it is. But it's something to do with YouTube's uh, advertising rules in in Europe. Okay. Changing, and they need to actually have a look at, like, how to st- It was essentially our version of net neutrality. Okay. Um, it was kind of, like, up for debate on whatever it was in the EU. And what's really interesting is that hardly anyone knew about it. I was like, guys, you guys should really pay attention to this because, <laughs> like, if we get net neutrality gone we get throttled and all our amazing internet gets like completely shut down and we have to pay more and it just becomes forget the the person buying like the um the business owners experience it's everyone's experience because now you got to pay more for wi-fi tariffs or for like uh broadband tariffs so it's just interesting what people where people's focuses are it's funny that you mentioned uh, Gary Halbert because I had his son Bond on my show about a month ago. We recorded, and uh, Bond Halbert has a, something he calls a "so what" test. Whenever he writes something, whether it be copywriting or anything, he puts himself in the prospect shoes, and the prospect is thinking "so what," and that's when he's writing copy keeps him on track. The "so what" test. So what? Why do I care? Why should I care? Oh yeah, it's powerful. Um... It's very, very powerful, especially with the whole idea of like um, that, just that ability of so what also works really well with when you're failing in sales. Mm. If you're having like a bad run, having that idea of so what? So what if that last phone call I got called insert explicitive? So what if the last person lied to my face saying they were going to sign up and didn't? By the way, I never think that. I just know a lot of people do think that. Um, mainly because I was there at one point and then kind of moved out of that mindset and things became better. But if you have those mindsets, just end with the words, so what? So what it happened? Now the choice is, what do you want to do about it? Mm. That's what what changes everything. It's just that flipping perception. And my curiosity really abounds towards the nitty gritty of it all. It's like, how did you, uh, actually, how would you advise someone to flip that perception? Because I know what you, I, I know to some degree of what you do, and I can imagine that there would be some level of you need to shift your mindset a little bit, stop being from this 
perspective of scarcity and go into like a perspective of abundance would right. that be something that you actually would go through like with someone that you're working with or no it's an interesting topic because uh, of course uh, rich lifton and steve chandler say in their book the prosperous coach that needy is creepy and people can pick up on neediness. They have very finely tuned radars, and I say spidey senses. So if a coach or an online entrepreneur needs the money, needs a sale, they can usually pick up on that, and that's gonna chase them away from it. So I found with my sales calls, they started going infinitely better. I started closing more of them when I stopped caring the result of it and what would happen, and it sounds, like that's not the way to do it and people be thinking well no you of course you should care if you get the client or not but when i go into an approach a uh, call with the approach of well i don't care if i uh, get this client or not i'm gonna do my best to help them in our short time together and, and then we'll see where the chips uh, fall it, i tended to close more of those calls and i think that's where it's really important to have a good lead flow coming in because if you only have one call a month, you feel like you need that client, right? But if you've got seven or eight good calls coming up later in the week, you think, okay, well, if they're going to dilly-dally or, quote, talk it over with their wife, you know, the, the old excuse, then that's fine. I got another seven calls coming up, and I'll find a better fit this week with one of those other people. Yeah, that's actually so true because you have that, again, attitude of abundance to go out there and just do it and get those, you know, you're not again like you said you can find that stench of like desperation you didn't say it, that i say that because to me yeah. it's a stench um, well it's like dating too right dating you could pick that up that that that'll chase some um, uh, the other person away faster than anything probably even more so than bo <laughs> oh entirely uh, yeah it's, it's a form of bo i guess if you're needy and and Pete, no one wants to date a desperate person yeah it's no one does it sucks uh so badly that people push that like push that kind of like settling um in their mind now the other question i wanted to ask you just like the jumps off of that is how would you help someone actually start filling out the time slots there? because that's kind of like a big one for a lot of people they don't really know how to fill up their calendar so they can have that abundance mentality because again it comes down to the whole like chicken or egg. Mm. I, i'll have the abundance mentality when i have enough clients to speak to but i'm not going to have enough clients to speak to unless i have the abundance mentality i'm like right. that's not true but i'm curious to what one of your strategies are and the only reason i bring this up is because again uh i forgot to do this earlier but like as this episode is sponsored by naturalborncoaches.com where you know people can actually go to and figure out how to get their first um if I remember correctly, what's it called? I think your whole thing was like get the ten first 10 clients, clients in 90 days yes yeah your first 10 clients in 90 days um including how to become like how to create content um like crazy which is really hard to do if you don't know what you're doing um or if you're lazy like me because that's enough <laughs> i say i'm lazy I, I joke about i prefer audio content more than um doing writing content which is weird for people when i tell them that is because i'm a copywriter it's like <laughs> I like words it's like i like talking words but anyway i'm getting off my point my whole thing is like how would you actually help people um do that exact thing which is uh, that you would teach them on like naturalbornCoaches.com uh, where you actually show them how to get 10 clients in the next 90 days without paying for advertising like that. Yeah. What would be some of the little things that they could just take away from today? Well, a lot of my, my whole philosophy for coaches and the way that I do it with my business is put out good content that 
people will get to know, like, and trust you. And then you invite people to take the next step with you and they will reach out to you and they will hire you. They will buy your programs, whatever. And the reason I did it that way is I spent 10 years in real estate, as I mentioned. And for those 10 years, I did a lot of chasing because real estate agents would have to chase, right? I was doing 20 calls a day to potential home sellers. And, and after doing that for about 10 years and a lot of hours, like 100 hour weeks, I thought with coaching, I don't want to chase. I'm tired of chasing and I want them coming to me. And I don't chase with my coaching. I put out the content which shows that, hey, I'm good at what I do. I want to help you. It's, uh, I like to think it's entertaining. People are enjoying it. Then they reach out to me and I'm not doing any of these things. Like you see on LinkedIn, I'm sure you get these messages all these time. These people with these blatant sales pitches, you met them 1.4 seconds earlier, you connect and bang, they're spamming you. I don't want to do that. So anyone who comes to me is because they've been following my stuff for a while and they like it. And then they reach out to me. And I think that's a much better way to build a business instead of chasing. Because when you're uh, chasing people, you're coming from a position of weakness as opposed to strength. And it can, it can almost come across like begging. And I just don't want to do that. And if you're lucky, if you're a really good salesperson and you twist a person's arm and you get them as a client, how good is that relationship going to be? Because they're going to feel like, okay, well, he just did a set big sales pitch on me. And, you know, like these guys that can sell ice to Eskimos. Okay. But then you also have to get results with the people too. And I just don't want to be bothered with it. So I prefer my approach at the 10 clients in 90 days program I have. It's very heavily focused on getting your message out into the world and then having the right people reach out to you. I would agree so hardcore with that because that, that entire statement is so true. And it's kind of the whole adage that if you guys want a visual response to this, um, if you're a fight fan, you can actually watch this. Obviously, which I assume most of my audience are fight fans because they, you know, I do talk about combat sports quite a bit. Um, watch Fabricio Verdum versus Stipe Miocic. Uh, that's M I O C I C, I think. Um, the Stipe S T I P E basically um, he he managed to catch Verdum early on, and then this is where it's kind of like perfectly to this analogy. Vadum, who was the champion, started to chase the challenger to try and hit him. Mm. On the way in, the cha- the challenger took one step back and hit the champion with the most perfect shot and knocked his ass, knocked him out, just knocked <laughs> his ass out. That is a visual reference for you. If you're constantly chasing forward, work with me, work with me, work with me, work with me, that kind of thing, and like really putting out that desperate vibe that you really need help and you really need to like to sign up someone and all that the other. That that eludes. You're just basically sticking your chin out, waiting for someone not to knock you out. And you're going to take rejections, and of course that's going to deter your movement forward. And as you said, you put out content that basically only goes out to the right people that when they read it, they're like, yeah, I want to work with this guy. You don't have yeah. to message them. They message you. It's just consistent. Putting your message out there consistently, and I find a lot of entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs, don't do that. They feel like, okay, well... I'll try Facebook live videos, for example. They do three days in them. They don't get a rush of clients. They're like, well, this is stupid, and they're off to the next bright, shiny object, and you can't do that. So I've been releasing my podcast since November 17th, 2014, consistently. I've released uh, almost 600 episodes as we're recording this. I've done daily emails to my list since April of 2016, so well over 1,000 days 
of daily emails there as well. And I just show up every day with it. I, you just have to be consistent. And unfortunately, a lot of people who are in the coaching world don't have that consistency. They just, they're, they're very impatient. They want everything right now. It, it takes a lot of time, a lot of posts, a lot of podcasts, a lot of videos to where you start getting traction. But then once you start getting it, then it's rolling. So it's kind of like the old analogy about uh, rockets. You know, they use, what, 80, 90 percent of their fuel uh, getting into space, like for liftoff. And then they, the rest of it's all the momentum. Same way with business. Agreed. Could not agree more. It's something I'm learning in my own life um, is how to just consistently get things out there. When I started posting this podcast consistently on Fridays, um, my what did I go from like I think I went from like five hundred ish listeners a month mm. to twenty five thousand a month. Wow! And that growth like that I went from five thousand to twenty five thousand in like twenty eighteen. 2019 i want to bring that up to uh 50,000 i just want to double my listener base just simply because i know the people i'm getting on my show the people i'm going out there if it's like you say one thing that really does well i'd say I, i'm assuming here that this breaks your heart but i know you quite i know you relatively well that i can actually say this that it breaks your heart to see someone that has a message and it dies in them before the world can go out before the world can actually benefit from their help their coaching their advice yeah. And I thought that too. Like this show is too good to not have go out there because I know who I've got as guests. I've got guys like you. And if you look at the roster list of who I've had on the show, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. Um, that being said, however, something I do, uh, something that, uh, that this all comes back to and it was something I struggled with, it's this idea of figuring out your message. I mean, what what tools would you give someone to actually even start? Because the only way I could think of that is try and th just ask people that you've worked with before why they would hire why they hired you or to like it, it's external. I can't think of anything that would be an internal kind of ex exercise that someone could do. Well, when I started coaching, I was really disappointed because back in my real estate days, I had always had access to a lot of money for advertising, right? So that's how I built my real estate business up was I was just doing a ton of advertising, get, getting my name out there. And when I started coaching, I felt like it was a disadvantage being a few years after business closure. I was building it on a shoestring budget. I didn't have the money to throw into expensive ads. Now, at the time, I thought it was a bad thing, but looking back, I could see that there was a silver lining in that cloud because it forced me to make up for the lack of resources with effort, rolling up my sleeves and, and just getting out there and posting and doing the organic thing. And I feel like I found my message a lot more quickly that way as opposed to if I was sitting with $20,000 to throw into Facebook ads, which a lot of people do, by the way. They jump in and they right on day one, they're trying to... Um, hire the expensive coaches and, and not saying that they're all bad by the way, but they they're trying to throw money at coaches uh, ninja funnels hacks and everything else adds to shortcut it and then they don't have that opportunity to work out their message. So the more that you put your message out there, it's like going to the gym, you're going to build up your content creation muscles. And it's going to, your message will bubble up through the surface uh, by doing it that way. The analogy that I use is uh, when it comes to your message, right on day one, it's not going to be probably the right message. And it's a lot like those, you know, TV sitcoms where in the, uh, that have been on the air for six years, eight years, 10 years. You've got the characters have their buzzwords. They've got their little ticks and quirks that you know about because you've been watching them for years. 
So take the Big Bang Theory, for example, or Seinfeld, or I guess The Simpsons, what, 30 years or something. Yeah, if you go nice. back <laughs> forever, I think that Simpsons is going to, if there's ever nuclear war, um, cockroaches will still be alive because they apparently can't be killed and The Simpsons will be around too. Exactly. But uh, those shows, if you go back to the first season, especially the first couple episodes, don't feel like the same show. Because uh, Sheldon isn't saying Bazinga on the Big Bang Theory, and if it's Friends or something else, they just feel a little bit different because they didn't have that enough time to to work out their characters yet, and that would come in later seasons. And it's the same way with online entrepreneurs. Yeah, it just takes time. Um, it just takes time. That that's all it is. And again, it goes back to this consistent thing where you're consistently showing up it kind of reveals itself to you is what I would say based on what you just said as well. Yes. That actually works out so much. Work. Sorry, I'm actually writing this down while I'm doing I'm like, that is actually really smart. One of my quotables for this episode, I guess. Um, <laughs> God, I love having an iPad. Literally bought an iPad with an iPad or with an Apple pencil specifically so I could do like notes and writing because I, um, I'm, while we're shooting this, I'm in the middle of a move to a new place. Um, I actually realized I have about 45 notepads marked 2018 alone. And I was like... It sounds oh. like, yeah, I've killed a forest. Yeah, uh, with like... With moleskins and notepads and, yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll just buy an iPad and note on there because it just means I don't, A, kill a forest, and B, I'm not spending a humongous amount of money for notes that would never get digitized and I have to run through a million and one different notepads to find a note I wrote six months ago. <laughs> Only for the word saying, haha, idiot, I hid it in the other notepad because, let's be honest, I am that much of an asshole that I actually I plan jokes on myself months in advance. <laughs> I just write them down in notepads going, I know he's going to want to read this, it'll just be funny. See if I just remember. And I never do. <laughs> I'll read them like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but anyway, um, kind of jumping off that point, the podcast <laughs> itself, which I've been a guest on, I really, really enjoy uh, being a part of. My question is, what really got you into podcasting? Because I know for me, it was an area of, I'm tired of these fake guru type people, or more so not fake. I'm tired of seeing my friends put on this front as if they're some guru or they're this authority that can't kick back and say the word fuck every so often. Yeah. I'm like, you don't say F-bomb in reality. I've hung out with you. You called me a fucktard once. <laughs> That's what you said to me. You said that yeah. to me to my face. So why are you saying that you can't say the F word on? No, of course you can. You should. So getting these people on my show, it was kind of like showing that authentic side as in like, dude, just be yourself. And unfortunately, what's happened now is nearly everyone's kind of cottoned on to this idea of being them their authentic selves when they're writing and kind of left professionalism in the dust, which is annoying. Um, so going back to it, that was the reason why I went through podcasting was to find that authentic voice amongst my people. What got you to podcasting? Well, it's probably not the politically correct answer, but I did it to make more money, get, get more clients. And I know the answer nowadays, especially in the coaching world, is um, coaches will say, well, I did it to um, shine a light on the world oh, and, my to, God. and to better the world. And, uh, and, I'm not, and by the way, I'm not saying those are, those are bad goals necessarily, but it, can we yeah, just be honest that yeah. 
if you're in business, there's nothing wrong with saying you're doing something to make money. And I find like a lot of entrepreneurs try to pretend that they don't like that they hate money and oh no no it's not about money put your wallets away and it's it's about you know all these altruistic goals world peace and everything else and I'm like oh man I started the podcast to get more coaching clients <laughs> now that the nice um, side effect of that is I'm helping coaches build their businesses which is the ripple effect and helping a lot of people in the world but let's just be real and and admit that we're doing things to make money and if you're not if you're in business and you're not doing it to make money then you're you're probably doing things wrong you know if you're spending a lot of time on a podcast so I did it to get my message my name out there and yes to make um, more money because I enjoy money I like it <laughs> so it, you know it's funny when I started my podcast back in November 2014 people said to me at the time I thought I missed the boat because I was looking at uh, podcast hosts like John Lee Dumas. I took one of his programs to help get started. And I looked at what he was doing with Entrepreneur on Fire. And I thought, oh, man, I'm too late. I'm late to the party here. Yeah. Flash forward to 2019, people are, and they look at my show starting in 2014 with 600 plus episodes and all this stuff. And they say, oh, my God, Mark, you're so lucky. They're going on like I'm a wise visionary for seeing the, the benefits of podcasting back in 2014. And I'm like, no, man, I thought I was too late to the party back then. And I guess the point being people use the excuse that, oh, I'm too late for this. So I have to wait for the next hot thing. And you see it even with podcasting now. People are thinking they, they are too late for it or whatever. People are going to be saying the same thing in 2023. Just get started. Don't worry about that too much. Uh, real estate's a good example. I have a friend who uh, whose father bought a waterfront piece of waterfront land on a uh, peninsula, beautiful waterfront um, parcel, 800 feet of frontage. It's got its own beach and everything. He bought it in the 60s for something like $6,000 or $8,000. And everyone thought he was nuts because uh, he was a teacher. They said, oh, my God, you spent your yearly salary on this piece of land in the boonies. Well, now it's worth uh, a little bit more than that, <laughs> you could say, or whatever. Um, but it's same, you see the same thing with real estate. Everyone say, oh, I missed the boat. You know, it's already the prices are I should have got in years ago. No, just get in now. Like, don't worry too much about that. Agreed. And that's something I do find Sorry, my cat's being a pain in the ass over there, but what do cats do best? Mm. Be pains in the asses. Um, but I agree. It's like when I, whenever I hear people get into whatever field they're into, I'm like, guys, there's still time. Like, people will always need certain things, and it's just your job to basically go ahead and provide them. It's like if you've got a service like I do, like I teach and write copy, writing copy may seem like it's a, either A, the hardest thing in the world, or B, the it could be misconstrued as the simplest thing in the world. Mm. I don't think anyone with their right mind would actually say it's easy because it's clearly not. You're basically helping people understand how to make a buying decision with words alone. Anyway, my point basically being people can go ahead and talk about this stuff all day long and say how now could be the time, this could be the time, that could be the time. Just, again, your words get started. YouTube has not shut down its loophole of you being able to become a video, uh, you know, a YouTuber. You can always do that. I mean, every every platform works. The stupidest ones are when people think platforms don't work anymore. I'm like, LinkedIn still works. Twitter still works. Instagram still works. There's not just one platform, guys. There's multiple mm. platforms, and they all work. The reason is because the people that build their bases there, yeah, it may be a little bit more difficult now. It may not be as easy, but guess what? doesn't mean it doesn't work. just means you have to put in a little bit more work to reap a greater result. 
usually that's what happens. You put more, you put more work in, usually more results come out. Yeah, well, look at podcasting. How many shows are where, where they call in purgatory, right? Not alive, not dead. It's stuck kind of in limbo in the middle, or they're um, they're not officially dead, but the person hasn't released a show in four years, so it's pretty much dead. And I find like with it's like the Woody was a Woody Allen had the quote about showing up's half the battle or something. That's yeah. that's what it is. If you just show up every day, not get too worried about okay, am I going to get a flood of clients right away on day one? That's how I did it with podcasting. I told myself, D Mark, don't worry about how many clients you get from this just put out every single at the time it was a daily podcast now it's weekly but i said just put out a different show every single day and don't worry about how many clients you're getting from it i took that pressure off myself whereas most people are coming at it again from that position of neediness where they need to get that client right away or then they hop off to the next bright shiny object so i always say just tell yourself hey i'm going to do it regardless of if it's getting results or not i'm going to stick with it for x number of days you know at least a month nothing happens in less than a month usually anyways uh, but that turned into uh, for me for almost four and a half years so far and 600 episodes with that approach yeah it it works it genuinely works and one of the things that i want to kind of go back to for a second is something that you uh mentioned oh crap it just left my mind it was um crap what was it, it was like right when we were talking about podcasting Oh, that was it. Capitalism. Hmm. I, I sighed heavily whenever I hear someone say, to shine a light on the world or to do this. I'm like, motherfucker, please. Look, you did this for one of three reasons. Make money, build your influence and get sponsorships to, surprise, surprise, make money, or to connect with influencers that you could leverage from in order to raise your profile, help more people go out there, and, oh, by the way, did I mention money? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone Makes the world go around. Yeah, everyone can say they don't want that to happen, but we, we live in a capitalistic society for a very, very simple reason. And more importantly, there is just a hint of uh, understanding that if you have money coming in through your show, that helps more people. You can impact more people and everyone's happier because guess what? Money does unfortunately make the world go round, but doesn't mean you can't do it with a little love. Doesn't mean you can't do it with a little compassion. You can do, just get real with it. And for anyone that wonders why I have this show, I think I said it on the Matt uh, Wolf and Joe Fear episode that we did together, which is out. Uh, which came out a couple of weeks before this one. Um, I said it blatantly. The only reason I usually have my podcast is one of two reasons. It's either to leverage my influence and credibility to interview someone I want to speak to and see how I could help them and how we can work together outside those realms. Or two, uh, is actually completely pick the brains of someone that I want to work with or figure out who they are while on my show. It's... Yeah. It's blatant, but guess what? No one minds it because you're being honest about it. You're giving them a spotlight to speak, but at the same time, you're gleaning a lot of information. A lot of the questions I asked here today were mostly for me. And also because I know like some people do want those answers because they've asked me about it when they sent me a private... They didn't, they didn't post on the damn thread. They sent mm. me a private message. I don't understand people. 
Yeah, well, nowadays it's almost like it's taboo to admit that you're a, a proud capitalist. So I sent an email out to my list last week defending wealth and uh, rich people because I watched. You would appreciate this because I know you do some stand up and stuff. And I watched uh, Buddy, who does Patriot Act uh, on Netflix, was doing a stand up routine where he was asking a question: At what point does your soul turn? How much money once you make X amount, your soul turns? And you had these um, millennials in the crowd shout. Once someone shouted a million dollars, which you know, mil- not trying to say millions not a lot of money, but I don't think people's souls turn a million dollars. And just hating on wealth and stuff, and they're all, um, you know, like uh, cheering and laughing about it and stuff. And it goes to Hollywood as well. Who's the bad guy? Is almost always the evil capitalist, right? Who's bulldozing the kids' um, baseball field to build a toxic dump or a shopping mall or something like that. Right. And I'm sick and tired of it. And I see it in this coaching world too. I see. Um, there's so many coaches who are bashing wealth and bashing capitalism, but then they're wondering why they're broke. If you spend your day attacking wealth, don't be surprised when it's not coming to you. Exactly. The, I want to touch on two more things here. It's one of the reasons why I can't watch the movie Titanic. Um, Randy Gage broke this down for me on, uh, in a show mm. or a recording or something years ago, and it's just stuck with me. Um, I'm proud to say I've only ever watched clips of that movie. I've never watched it. In, I don't think I've watched it in its entirety. I watched it when I was young. Right. Like really young because of my sister, but I never yeah. really paid attention. And even what I did see made sense. And if you really break it down from the... And, and anyone that has a basic understanding of a, a cognitive... The cognitive function of the brain, how we basically put things together, like A... Like, what is it? A something B mm. equals C. Your brain will fill in the B by itself by closest association. So let's look at it this way. Um, the character, like, have you seen Titanic? I saw it years ago when it first, when it came out. And um, I have not seen it again since then. But is that, it was a Billy Zane that was playing like one of the rich yeah, people. Yeah, it was the rich asshole. Yeah. But um, yeah. what, what I love is the way Randy Gage broke it down was like, Billy Zane plays the bad guy. He's rich. He's Mm. boring. It's very stuffy. It's not as fun when they're doing the steerage dance, right? Yeah. And you're like, mental brain basically puts this together. Money plus uh, plus stuffy, boring parties, because that's what they do, equals boring. So if I have money, I'm boring and shitty and no one wants to hang out with me and it's really stuffy and I don't want that. Because, you know, it takes a very special type of person. I could be, I'm not stereotyping because I know people like this. It takes a very special amount of money and a way that you're raised to have that kind of belief that, oh no, we only sit at the finest dining tables. We only do this. I'm so up my own ass. And I can tell you that number to get to that is roughly around, I'd say three generations of being a billionaire. Is yeah. when that around happens because the first generation, if you're the generation that makes it, you're more like, holy shit, I can't believe I made all this money. This is amazing. Second generation, I want my kid to have everything I didn't have and didn't go through all the struggles. Cool. Third generations, second generation doesn't know shit about the struggle. And third generation is being raised by some like very, and I mean this in uh, the nicest way possible, soft chinned people who don't know how to grind they don't know how to graft because everything was given to them so by the third generation they're entitled little bitches yeah Um, that's basically how i see it 
Now, if you take into the account of Jack, Jack is happy. He's he's happy-go-lucky. Uh, he wings his life. He seems to have so much fun. Women are attracted to him. Everyone thinks that he he's the best-looking guy in the movie. He's your hero. And he's poor. Factor that little equation together, which is happy, fun, mm. good-looking, attractive. People like him. Oh, my God, he's so much fun. Look at all the adventures. He's the hero. I want to be just like him. And he's poor. So uh, being poor may mean I can't really eat and feed my kids or feed my family or have the nice things I want. But it does mean I'm all these other qualities. Whereas if I was rich, I'd be boring and stuffy, even though I could take care of everything. And again, that all comes down to our perceptions yeah. of what we see. And that's the well, reason I've never watched that movie again. It, yeah, and it reminds me of a story I heard. I can't remember which book I read it in, but there's a fellow who was always overweight for his life, but he kept he would uh, do yo-yo with his weight would yo-yo. He had uh, he was like 350 pounds, but he would lose a bunch of weight, but then he would gain it back, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. And what had happened was he was identifying being. Um, God, is it politically correct to say fat? Uh, God, I, I'm gonna. I don't give somebody. a shit. Someone's it's fat. It's fat. Sorry. Um, if you're or fat, a... you're fat. Okay. <laughs> if, if, look, take it this way: if you're a fat motherfucker and you don't want to admit it, that's something wrong with you. And I'm not gonna go on a rant about body positivity because I do believe in body positivity, but mm. when it's healthy, not when you're like dying because your organs are shutting down. That ain't well, no, and that's a whole other show. And they had that woman on the co yeah. cover of Cosmo that was like 500 pounds, and they're saying Don't this even... is beautiful now and, and glamorizing it. And I'm like, no, this isn't. Sorry, but that's a whole other I, thing. I want to touch on that just very quickly. Yeah, I no. wouldn't say it's not beautiful because I have friends that are very big, and like one mm. of my friends in particular, she's beautiful. Like, genuinely, if I showed you a photo, you'd be like, She's gorgeous. She put on weight while she was in uh, the UK. She got hotter. Like, she genuinely... She wasn't a small girl to begin with, but she... Like, her body, her natural curves really came into place. But she worked out. She did everything. She just ate a lot. And, you know, she looked at her body how it was. But she's healthy. She's happy. And I would say that's body, body positivity because she is also... in her. When I say beautiful, I actually don't mean just physically... I mean, emotionally, she's not toxic. She actually goes out and helps people. She work, She does all these things. And again, I'm not saying that if you don't do these things, you're not a beautiful person. Mm. You can be completely in your right. But I'm saying is if you're like, if you're 500 pounds and basically having to be forklifted out of your apartment just to go down to the shops and no one's really seen you because you can't move. I'm sorry, that's not how your body was meant yeah. to function. Like if you die at a heart attack at 32... And the, then that's not a positive thing. And, and this is how screwy society is nowadays because we're telling kids, okay, no, it's cool to be 500 pounds and not have at it or whatever. No, it's not healthy. But the, the fellow in the story was, so he was yo-yoing 350, 400 pounds. So he kept losing the weight and gaining it back. And the reason why was he was associating uh, being bigger with being jolly and being a good person. And he didn't feel like when he was uh, less weight, when he didn't weigh as much, he didn't feel like he was the same jolly self, right? Like Santa Claus uh, type thing. And that's why he subconsciously didn't even realize it. He wasn't comfortable. His his thermostat, just like they talk about thermostats for finances, where it's set at a certain temperature and you always end up around there. His for his weight was set at 350 or 400 pounds. That's where he was most comfortable. And uh, that that's what I think of. 
uh, I can't even remember how did we get on this. We've, we've hit on Titanic and everything else, but um, <laughs> subconsciously, it, 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 uh, there are a lot of things that, that uh, the reason people are struggling is it's down deep. They don't even realize buried deep into their subconscious, and, and that's where they're struggling. And I do think that there's that hatred of wealth. The fellow from Patriarch, Hassan Menhaj or whatever, he said – billionaires should not be able to run for president. He said, if you don't know the price of a carton of milk, you should not be allowed to run for president. And he said, uh, now, when I'm going to vote for my country's leader, I'm not looking for someone that could name the price of carton of milk. Like this isn't the price is right or a game show where they need that. Um, and it's just as ridiculous as saying anyone who um, is worth under X amount of dollars shouldn't be allowed to run for president. How about the best person runs for it and then, you know, you can choose and you can vote uh, on that. But the audience was lapping it up because you had a bunch of Bernie Sanders supporters probably and stuff. You had death to the rich and, you know, the everything going wrong in their life is because of the greedy rich capitalist and, and business owners and uh, death to the billionaires or whatever. And And that's my issue nowadays. I see a lot of people who are socialists trying to compete in a capitalist society and then they're wondering why they're having trouble uh, making money in the online space don't get me wrong death to some billionaires i mean some of you are just cunts <laughs> and i hate you like not just because of like i don't give a shit about well, how well, much money I did in my uh, facebook group after i sent that email around and posted about it there's a good discussion going and i said guys in the interest of uh, research we have 16,000 people in my Facebook group, The Coaching Jungle. I said, how about if everyone pays me, I worked it out, and I'm surprised the calculator had this many zeros. I think it was $62,500. If every person paid me 62500 I would have a, mil a billion from that, and we could test to see if my soul turned. So I said, here's my PayPal link, guys. Send me 62500 each, and we'll test it. Nobody's sent it through yet, by the way. I'm still waiting. So wait, man, it's got to be there. But here's what I mean by like, just very quickly, just finish up that point. Um, I really, really, really just, when I say this, it's the moral thing. There are some billionaires out there, whether we know, they have, they come up assholes, like the dickhead at Exxon or the guys down at, what's, it, what's that, what's that GMO company, Monsanto? Mm. Like, you know, the ones that are like, hey, um. Let's not do this thing. Let's go ahead and just, you know, use a more toxic material that we know about to poison the world's population for profits. I'm like, that guy. Yeah, that guy can go jump off a cliff. We don't care about that guy. But what about the good guys? Having a billion dollars doesn't make you a bad person. It just amplifies what's already there. Yes. If you're, if you're a good person with a billion dollars, you're going to be even better as a person. I mean, look at um, Jessica Alba. She's a billionaire. Well, technically, her company's a billionaire. She makes a lot of money, and a lot of people don't realize this. She's worked tirelessly with some charities in order to make sure that they function. She's been bankrolling a lot of them. Hmm. Yeah. Good person. Um, you have that with J.K. Rowling over here in the UK. Good person. I mean, don't get me wrong. People do get on their own social uh, on their own politics. By all means, I respect whatever policies are that you have. Me, I stand in the middle of everything, and I've always said that. Um, main reasons because there's some shit I agree on that's conservatives, there's some shit I agree on that's liberal. Right. I couldn't give a shit about what you guys, it's more about my own personal liberties the way I look at it, as everyone else does, as we said earlier in the show, it's we FM. We're thinking about what's in it for me. It's always gonna be that way. Yes. Um So yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. So kinda of like to wrap this up very quickly because I've only realized you have ten minutes on the show. This is the danger I have of having you on my show, is I could I could talk to you for literally hours. Um we got to do this again. 
But I was gonna say, uh, what would be your five, and just change the tone entirely, what would be like the five books that you'd recommend everyone reads? Um, let's make three, let's make eh, four of them could be nonfiction and one of them has to be a fictional book. Oh, boys. Um, yeah. So, right. so uh, yeah, and, and it's not a matter of coming up with books, it's narrowing down. So uh, first of all, I have to put uh, thick face, black heart down there. Anyone who's heard me before, I sound like I'm uh, in cahoots with the estate of Chin Ning Chu, the author, because I recommend it so much. I'm not an affiliate or anything, but uh, thick face, black heart is an amazing book. It should be a must read for entrepreneurs. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, I have to put on there. That was a book that got me into personal development back in high school. So Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I really like the 10X rule by Grant Cardone. Although I have to be careful because whenever I, I read the book or listen to the audio book, he's very gung-ho. If you're not working 168 hours a week, you're not hustling and you don't want it bad enough. So me, I've struggled with workaholism. When I consume that book, I'm even worse. So I have to be careful. But the 10X rule would definitely have to be on there as well. Um, oh, boys, that's uh, – well, the new Psycho-Cybernetics, that's the updated version of Maxwell Maltz's book. And uh, Dan Kennedy went in there and they, they did an edited version but kept the flavor of the original. So I would say the new Psycho-Cybernetics as well. And uh, judging by the tone of this interview, people won't be surprised, but I would say Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand <laughs> for the nonfiction book, uh, just to keep with the whole capitalist bent here uh, with it. But I would say Atlas Shrugged. That is awesome. I like that. I like that entire um, list. I'd say this much as people actually, to give you guys an idea of this, I've not read Atlas Shrugged. Um, not all the way through. From what I read, I couldn't really engage with the story. Yes, I believe in... Uh, I'm more altruistic than I am objective mm. about things. But you know what the cool thing about it is? I don't shove any of that shit in other people's faces. And people like me. And we all get on. Yeah, Atlas Shrugged is... It's not an easy read. Uh, so okay. I started it a few times and then I put it aside with other ones. How I first got through it was I did the audio version. And I spent one summer, 65 hours... And uh, I, every day I'd go, the audio is. It, it is 65 hours. Now, at the time, I didn't do this. Now I listen to my audiobooks at 2x speed. So that would only be 32 and a half hours. But mm -hmm. um, the audio is how I got through it the first time. And since then, I've read it. But it took that first time getting through it because it's not an easy read. And it's not a short read either. The thing could uh, crush your foot if you drop the book uh, on your foot there. It's not like uh, The Fountainhead and some other books that she have there slightly smaller but um yeah it i think it's um it's a must read for entrepreneurs and she has one of my favorite quotes ayn rand said the question isn't who's going to let me it's who's going to stop me and i love that quote yeah that's a powerful quote it is because it should it should do it, it does sorry if you actually take it to heart you will have um you'll have a real understanding it'll just drive you it will drive you because you're like Okay, cool. Who is actually going to stop me? It's uh, and just very quickly. It reminds me of the song by Audio Slave, um, "Show Me How to Live," mm. which I I love just the like the video itself. Like it has this this opening monologue, which is like uh, they are the last ones of speed, and the question is, um, it's not who's going to stop them. It's what it's something like that. It's not um who's going to stop them or who's going to get in their way. It's basically that kind of same message, but in a song and it just keeps going and I've just completely drawn blank on it, which annoys me. 
So after this, I've got to go listen to it and then update the show notes to the actual quote. Um, that's going to be fun. But anyway, very quickly, I just want to tell everyone here to go check out naturalborncoaches.com, which is, again, your site, where, well, if they actually like click on the want to get 10 new coaches, you'll end up on a landing page to basically book a strategy call with you. But yes, we're going yeah. to work with you um, on that. I'd heavily encourage nearly everyone, even if you don't, even if you're not a coach that, you know, is in coaching right now, whatever it is, um, get his content creation machine at the very least, because if you know what you're doing and you can teach other people stuff and you can coach them because that's exactly what you're doing. Um, this content creation mass, the, the infographic alone will actually help you really understand how and what to put out. And again, the key thing of all of this is consistency, which I think we kind of really nailed that uh, nailed it in to everyone listening for about 30 minutes. <laughs> we just kept going on about consistency. Yes, uh, that's the theme. It's like Sesame Street, the word of the day or whatever. That's what it is, consistency. I'd say that's the word of 2019. It's like, you know, every year has a word. I'd say consistency is this year's word. Not like this spoken word, like, hey, guys, I'm going to teach you to be more consistent. It's kind of a case of just people understanding in their minds that they're going to get more consistent with things and just go do it. Yeah, I always say uh, online entrepreneurs have to be like uh, the Terminators in the different Terminator movies. You know, you can't stop them. They just keep moving forward. Even when you put it, take a shotgun and blow through their brain, it grows back and they just keep stalking their prey. That's what you have to do. You have to go day in and day out. And if you can be consistent and disciplined and do that, it's a superpower. It's that old 80-20 rule, you know, Pareto's principle that applies across so many, the board with so many things. Um, I say that 20% of online entrepreneurs should actually be doing it. The other 80% should be doing something else because they don't treat it seriously. They're not consistent. They're not disciplined and anything like that. So yeah, be like a Terminator. Just keep stocking your goals. Keep doing your things every day and don't quit agreed that's actually perfect advice to end the show on and with that being said guys i will see you on next week's episode please review comment subscribe share do all the good social media stuff really um to get the show out there to help more people and mark thank you so much man i really, really appreciate you uh coming on us having to actually schedule this multiple times but getting there in the end um, yeah well thanks for having me yeah guys that'd be it'd be great to uh have you there all right, so I'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace out.